So if you have your Bibles, open to Mark 5. Mark 5, Jesus is with a whole bunch of people and his disciples, and he's doing ministry. He just crossed over the sea by boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is what it says in verse 21. You ready? We're going to do a lot of scripture today, so be ready. We're going to read a lot of it because there's nothing like the word to wash our minds, right? It says this, verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, get that, a synagogue ruler, high up in the Jewish church named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He could have been put to death just for that. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. His dad is desperate. Jumped down. Now what happens, we're going to skip this portion, um, this paragraph. What happens is the woman with the issue of blood Then, as they're all walking in the big group, she reaches through and, okay, we're going to skip that part of scripture, but that's what happens next. And then it says in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, that's right after he's still speaking about the miracle that just happened, and he's talking about power leaving him. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. In biblical times, when someone would die in this culture, they would hire professional mourners. And they would actually pay them to stand either in the house or outside of the house or in that area and wail loudly, la, 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 la. And they would just, it would be all this commotion and chaos would just ensue. And it was to draw attention to the person that they just lost. So the more money you had, the more mourners you hired. The more influential you were, the more mourners you hired. Remember, this is a Jewish synagogue leader who believes in Jesus. So they're crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Here's the most important sentence. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So you have Jesus in this huge crowd of people, 
and people are pressing in on him, and this synagogue ruler shows up and says, you've got to come because my little girl is dying. You know they had tried everything, and this dad was desperate. And he, and he tells Jesus, I need you to come and heal her so that she can live. And so as this whole group is walking and everybody's pressing in on Jesus, then the woman with the issue of bleeding reaches through and he gets detained. And then a messenger comes and says, your little girl's already dead. Don't even bother him. Jesus says, oh, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And then he says, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. Everyone else, stay here. It's really interesting, isn't it? grabs those three, and they go to the house immediately and sees all of this commotion and says, there's no need for this because she's only asleep. And they laugh. So he says, all of you who just laughed, out. Mom and dad, disciples, come with me. They go into the room. And for the second time in this little girl's life, he breathes oxygen into her lungs, and she comes to life. Complete miracle. Would you agree? The kid was dead, right? Jesus often referred to um, death as sleeping because he sees the big picture. That should help us when we lose loved ones who know Jesus. They're asleep. There's something more. They're going to wake up. This is temporary. This is temporary. Well, Jesus says that, and these people laugh. And so he says, you can't be a part of this. Now, what I think is crazy about this story is that after Jesus raises this 12-year-old little girl, 12-year-old can communicate freely, correct? He looks at them and says, shh, don't tell anybody what happened in here. How are you not going to tell anybody what just happened in here? All these mourners were paid to be there and mourn over this child. My guess, I don't know, I can't prove this to you. My guess is they were still waiting outside. They hadn't been paid yet. And then what do they see? The little girl sitting up at the table, eating. And they're looking in there going, what just happened? I missed it. I missed it. What have I missed in my life because I scoffed at Jesus? What have I missed because I said, not true? Not true. Can't be. It's crazy. It's bizarre. It's weird. Did you know that Philip was transported? He, the Lord literally picked him up out of one place and transported him to where he needed to be. Okay, that's just bizarre. But who am I to say, no, it didn't happen. It's not real. Why would I do that? If I do that, do you get, do you get what's going to happen to me? I am going to miss out on all the things that God has for me. And I have, not knowingly, really unknowingly, but I did that. I think many of us do that. I think many of our denominations do that. 
simply because we don't understand something, we say, hmm, not true, not for today. Randy was talking about the Holy Spirit yesterday when he ended, and he gave you four great verses or four great passages to look up. I hope you look those up. Because, friends, can I tell you something? Without the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are not going to live victorious Christian lives. It is impossible. That is all through the word. God said, Romans 5, he calls us to live a Christian life, and then he says, but guess what? You can't do it, so I'll fill you with me, and then you can do it. If we don't have the, the, the Holy Spirit in us, there is no way that we are going to walk in victory. And I don't know about you. Like I told you before, I grew up in the church. I have seen a lot of Christians living lives that are not victorious, living lives of defeat. And it's one thing after another. And I'm not talking about God's plan of learning trial and tribulation. I'm talking about living in defeat. There's a difference between going through trial and victory and going through trial and defeat. Would you agree? My dad has said my whole life, you got to go through it. You might as well go through it with joy. They missed it. I refuse to miss it. And when you listen to the testimonies of people, I just had a a woman catch me in the back and she said, what your husband was talking about, seeing the cloud and smelling a fragrance, she said, happens to me all the time. It's the story of her life. Why? Because she grew up in a culture where people believed that God still does those things. (laughs) I want in. Not to see the wild and the wonderful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about to be a part of what the spirit is doing because he said in the last days, I'm going to pour my spirit out in such a way that, that, that old men are going to dream dreams and young men are going to see visions and your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. I want in. Do you believe we're in the last days? Okay, then God's going to do a new thing. Do you want it? Let's go. So not everybody has missed it. We have people in our family that haven't missed it. Um, I'll just tell you, our son, ever since he was a little, little, little boy, has told us that he sees angels and demons. I didn't know what to do with that. The first, the first account that <clears throat> he came to me, uh, I remember specifically it was, He was about um, two and a half years old, did not speak yet. He really didn't speak until he was almost three in full sentences. He would say a little word here or there. Randy was the same way, so we weren't worried about it at all. Hard to believe, right? So it was during one of the stages of our life when um, we had a home, and it was the middle of the night, and I woke up, and there was this oppression over me, this darkness. I could not move. I was shaking. My body was shaking. I was scared to death. It, there was a darkness in the room, and I, I was gasping for breath, and I was trying to get up to get my Bible, 
I, I knew this has to be an attack of the enemy because I've never felt anything like this. And I was trying to get my Bible and I couldn't move. There was something sitting on me, holding me down. And finally, I'm saying the name Jesus, Jesus. And I'm able to get up and I run to my children's rooms. I had had a dream, a nightmare. I'd had this vivid, vivid nightmare that someone was in my home at that moment killing my children. So I ran to the kids' rooms. They were fine. I couldn't calm down. So I got my Bible and I laid it on their backs. And I just started quoting scripture over them. And I just kept saying, you're our shelter. You're our protection. I'm safe in you. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Any verse that I could think of, I'm quoting out loud. But I couldn't get my blood pressure to come down. And I couldn't stop weeping. So I went into this bathroom that was far away from everybody's bedrooms. And I just got on the floor and I just wept before God. And it was maybe 4.30 in the morning. And the door opened. And my little son walks in the room. Now, I have to tell you, this was right after, as I'm crying out to God, I say to him, Lord, you've parted the Red Sea. You fed the 5,000. You've raised people from the dead. I believe all of that. I need something for me right now, just for me. And that's when the door opened. And Casey, our son, walked into the bathroom two and a half years old. He's in his little sleepy pajamas, rubbing his eyes, not even awake. And I sat up and I said, hey, buddy, how did you sleep? And without missing a beat, this kid in perfect, in a perfect sentence, I'd never heard him, heard him speak a perfect sentence. He said, great, God slept with me. Right? Great, God slept with me. And that was the first time that I thought, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. So fast forward years later, um, we're staying in a house, a missionary house. And our son, Casey, was maybe 10 years old. And we were in this missionary house for several months, and we had bunk beds in his bedroom. And he had told me, Mom, there's something not right in this house. He said, I see something sitting in the corner looking at me, and it's got red eyes. I don't like it. And can I tell you, friends, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to protect my son. I didn't know that that was tormenting my son. I, 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 I kind of believed him. I didn't know. I, do you get my quandary? Anybody grow up like me? We didn't talk about this stuff. I knew Satan was real. I knew evil spirits were real, but... We didn't talk about this. I didn't know what to do with it. I was hoping he was making it up. So one night, I go up into his room to, to kiss him goodnight, and I notice that he's, he's on the top bunk, and there was a safety rail that you put on a bunk bed, and he's laying on his side towards that safety rail, and he's got his arm over it, and he's pushed as far to the safety rail as he can be, and the covers are all over on the other side, and it's cold. It's winter. And I went over, and I said, I, uh, I said to him, buddy, let's, let's get you under the covers. Why are you pushed so far over? And I noticed he's weeping. He's weeping. I said, what's wrong, sweetie? He goes, you can't see him? I said, who are you talking about? He said, Jesus. 
Jesus is right there. He said, he's right there, Mom. He stole all my covers. I stood there. I said, he's there. He goes, Mom, he can have my covers. He can have my life. I just want to give him everything. This is so cool. And I stood there for a minute and I said, well, night, guys. And I'm walking down the stairs and I said, what do I do with that? And the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly to me. And he said, Marley, when you found out you were pregnant with Casey, did you not ask me to go above and beyond in his life more than what I've done in yours? I said, yes, he did. He said, I just went above and New normal in the Brown household. I can't tell you the things in our lives we would have missed out on if we would have said, nope, weird, bizarre, (laughs) not true. For instance, when we bought our house seven years ago, one of the first things we did was we walked the perimeter of our land And we set it apart for God. We anointed our whole home with oil. We anoint all the doors, all the windows, any entryway, any exit way, anywhere we want, any wall, anything. We anoint it all with oil because we don't know who lived there. We don't know who they were worshiping. We don't know what they brought in. We want to clear the land. So we walk our land and we anoint our house with oil. About two years later, we were leaving Casey home alone for the first time for a few days. And I asked him, I said, son, are you nervous at all about being home alone overnight? And he said, no, mom. He said, wait a minute. He goes, you don't know. I said, I don't, I don't know what. I mean, and there's lots of things I don't know. Yes, I agree with you, but what specifically? He said, you don't know that when we anointed this land with oil, instantly God positioned four angels at our house. There's one in the backyard, one in the front yard, one on the roof, and one to this side. He said, I don't know why there's not one over there. But those angels have been here ever since. He said, two of them have javelins. One has a bow and arrow. That's the one on the roof. One has a shield. He said, and they're just here. I said, no, You can see them. He said, not all the time. No, not all the time. He said, but I see them from time to time. Now, I have to tell you this. This was several years ago. So before we left on this trip, as I'm preparing for this Bible study, I went to my son, who is now 21 years old. And I sat down and I said, we got to have a little fireside chat. I said, because we're doing this thing on spiritual warfare. And I said, I want to know these things that you have told us I'm going to tell them back to you, and I want to make sure that I've gotten them correct. And I'm giving you the opportunity to say, no, Mom, that didn't happen. So I sat for 20 minutes and told him story after story. He said, yep. There were some details he corrected me on. For instance, when I was talking about this story, he said, actually, he said there was one time in since we've lived here that the Lord added two extra angels. 
He said, I don't know what we were going through. I don't know if it was a rough time. I don't know what was happening in our neighborhood. But instantly, there were two extra angels added to our land. And they were just there for a certain amount of time. And then they were gone. And we're back to the original number. So in spiritual warfare, have you anointed your land? Have you cleared the land? Who lived in your house before it? Who lived on the land before you? They, they could have been sacrificing children for all you know. You do not know what happened there. And a curse becomes on a place just from what we do. Do you believe that? Yeah, kind of, not really. Sort of, you want to, but you're not sure. We open the door to the enemy when we sin. So whoever lived where you live now, it is wise. Just stop. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to have a pastor, your family, or just you if you're the only believer. At a time, I would suggest when no one else is home, if you're the only believer, go through your house, every room. In the name of Jesus, this room, I set it apart for the glory of God. Lord, Holy Spirit, you reside here. This belongs to you. And we ask forgiveness for anybody that did anything evil in this place. And every evil spirit, we tell you in the name of Jesus to be gone. Not your land, my land. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to him. This now belongs to him. You have to go. In the name of Jesus. Very simple. Very simple. See, I think part of the thing with spiritual warfare is that we've seen too many movies. And we've allowed the enemy to teach us things inaccurately about himself. Because let's face it, most people that are bothered by evil spirits, it's not like the exorcist. It's that I have somehow in my life given him room to work. And as he whispers to me, I begin to believe him and I come into agreement with him and then I go his way and I follow what he's doing in my life. Does that make sense? That's, I believe, most of the evil spirit activity that's happening within our lives. But Satan has expounded it to such a way that we think if I'm not rolling on the floor foaming at the mouth, the evil spirits don't have anything to do with me. Oh, not true. Who said his best weapon is to be invisible? So let's, let's, um, let's, I'll tell you one more story. So we're in Texas. We're in Texas and we're at a camp meeting, just like this. Big, big place. There's probably uh, eight or 900 people. We're leading worship. There was one night that, man, the Holy Spirit just moved in a powerful way. And the altar was packed. And we knew several of the situations there that people were just laying down big things. There were marital issues, pornography issues, um, just salvation issues, all kinds of things. So many victories happened at that altar. Afterwards, we left the tabernacle, went outside just like you guys do. And, you know, we do. And everybody went and got ice cream. And there's a playground. The kids are all playing on the playground. And. I had just gone over and checked on our kids because they were little. Our son was probably seven or eight at the time. And I had just gone over to the, the playground, and I saw him playing, and he's laughing and running around with his buddies. And so I go back to talking to the people I'm talking to, and 
About two minutes later, he walks up to me and he grabs my hand and I look down at him and he's green, just green. And he's shaking and his eyes are huge. And I said, buddy, what's wrong? He said, mom, mom, I gotta talk to you. So we went away from the people. I got down, I kneeled down. I said, what's going on? He said, they're here. I said, who's here? He said, the angels and the demons are here, and they're fighting. They're fighting over the people. And I said, they're, they're over the people? He said, no, they're on the ground, and they're fighting. They're fighting. And the only word he could think of was over, and I said, are they fighting about the people? He said, yes, about the people. They're fighting about the people. So as I was talking to Casey about this just last week, we're going over this story. And I said, Case, like how many angels and demons did you see? Did you see them actually like fighting? He said, no. He said, there's a group here and there's a group here. And he said, I saw them running towards each other. And then the minute that they got this close, he said it was gone. I couldn't see it anymore. I said, so like what? Two or three angels, two or three demons. He said, no. 80? demons? A hundred angels? He said, I I don't know. It's a lot. He said, mom, when he was a little boy and this happened, he said, mom, what is that? He said, honey, that's what's happening. In the spiritual realm, the angels and the demons are fighting about us because they want our souls. They want us to be in captivity. They want us to belong to them. That was the very day, ironically, so planned by the Lord, that the evangelist asked me, what does your son's name mean? See, we call our son Casey, but his name is actually Cattison Christian. Cattison, we made it up. I loved the name Madison, but not for a boy. Our daughter's name is Kennedy. I said, hey, let's keep the K thing going. Let's do Cattison. There's a really cool musician. His name is Joshua Cattison. I thought, hey, Cattison, we'll just, you know, I didn't name him after the musician, but we liked the name. So earlier this morning, before this happened, the, the evangelist said to me, what does your son's name mean? I said, you know, we made it up. He said, let me just challenge you. He said, a name is oh so important. He said, a child needs to grow up into the meaning of their name. He needs to know what his name means. And he said, the Lord knows what that name means. So ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what his name means. So that day, I had been praying and fasting along with my husband. We'd been praying and fasting that God would show us, what does this kid's name mean? And the minute that my son came to me and said, they're fighting over the people, the Holy Spirit said to me, warrior. He's a warrior. And I looked at my husband and I said, the Lord just gave me the meaning of his name. And he said, me too. The same name. We took our son immediately back to our trailer. We're walking up into the stairs, and there is a little card on the step with the name Casey on it. One of those little name cards that you get in a Bible store. It was spelled C-A-S-E-Y. But I said, I said, Case, where'd you get this? He said, oh, one of my friends bought it for me at the camp bookstore. He said, Mom, he didn't know my name was actually K-C. He thought it was Casey. He said, but it's okay. 
And I said, son, look at what Casey means. Brave. I said, you are a brave one. That's who God has created you to be. And for some reason that I don't understand, the Lord has allowed you to see into a realm that I have never seen into. I don't understand, friends, why God chooses some people, but it's through the word. He did it with certain people. There's a spiritual realm, and we are in a battle. What are we in a battle for? To live a victorious Christian life. If you're saved and you're set apart, now the battle is to live a victorious Christian life. First of all, it's a battle for your soul. My assumption here is that most of us, if not all of us, have given our lives to Christ, and we're sealed, and we're signed, and delivered, and we're going to heaven. If you haven't, please, 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 we'd love to walk you through that. It's the simplest thing in the world to believe on the the name of Jesus. But after you're saved, it's a battle for your victory. And I am done living a defeated life. Done. Anybody with me? So open your Bibles to Acts 16. Let's flip over there. This is when Paul and Silas get in trouble for preaching the gospel. They're so bold. Amazing people. I can't wait to meet them. This is Acts 16. It says, once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. You know, the word tells us, stay away from fortune tellers. And one day, I was flipping channels, and that medium, that blonde woman I've prayed for, I can't think of her name right now, was on TV. And I paused for a second, and I listened as she told someone something she couldn't have possibly known, unless it's a big farce. But this is what I said to the Lord. Father, there are enough testimonies of people that have gone to see fortune tellers and psychics, and they knew stuff. Explain that to me. I don't get it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Marley, I didn't say it's not true. I just said stay away from them. In other words, evil spirits know things. Fortune telling, psychic, all of that, psychic powers, that's from the enemy. They're very, 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 very smart. And remember, they're dealing in the spiritual realm. So they're seeing things that we are not seeing. Don't read a horoscope. Why? You're putting your trust in something other than the living God. Our trust is to be in him and him alone. That's the whole point. Him and him alone. It's why he didn't want to give Israel a king. Because he said, I'm your king. I'm all you need. You know how many Christians I talk to that talk about going to a psychic? You are opening a door for the enemy right into your life. Don't do it. Repent of it. Confess it. Tell any evil spirit that has come uh, into your world because of that to leave in the name of Jesus. So they cast the demons out of this fortune teller, which is so cool, and they set her free. But what happens is that her slave owners, now they can't make money off of her. 
So they're really angry. And they put Paul and Silas in jail. Paul and Silas get beaten. It says they get severely flogged. In verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, probably when their concussions had worn off, about midnight, they, they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came off. Notice it says Paul and Silas were the ones praying and singing hymns. And everybody else was listening. But it was so powerful, their worship was so powerful, it literally shook the foundation of this prison, opened the doors, and everybody was set free. Why do we worship? Because it shakes the foundations. Why do we worship? Because it sets people free. They're singing hymns, it says. That's the word it uses. They weren't singing, in my heart, there rings a melody. They were not singing, raise a hallelujah. They were not singing, great is thy faithfulness. They were not singing any of those songs. They were singing a song of the day. Look, worship music, and I call it worship music because not all music is worship music. You have to delineate that, correct? And not all worship is music. But worship music is one of the most divisive things in churches today. I can't believe we're not through this yet. We have not matured. Can I say it out loud? We, some churches have, others haven't, most haven't. Let me say this. We're a family, a family with old people, and tiny babies. And I don't know about you, but in my family, we account for every age. When I make a meal and my whole family is coming to dinner, I consider every age. Why? Well, because my mom and dad are now in their 80s, and spicy food bothers their bellies. So I'm going to avoid, I'm just going to avoid the spicy food because I'm going to pick something for everyone. If I have a spicy dish, I'm going to make sure I have a dish for my mom and dad. So why do we do old hymns? Because a lot of you love it. If it, can I say this? If it were up to Randy, and it's when I say that, it's up to the Lord. But if it were just up to Randy's preference, he wouldn't do any hymns. 
But he says, I have a family in the body of Christ and every one of them matters. And I know that there are going to be some older people that grew up on and he walks with me and it takes them back to a point in their life when they met God and it's important. And we're going to do Waymaker. Why? Because some of us love that song. It's God's meeting us now. Now, the blessed ones are the ones that love all of you. And can I say, you are my favorite ones, the blessed ones who love all of it, to lead in worship. Can I say this? If you're one of those people that goes to your worship leader and says, why do we always got to do that song 10 times? That repetition drives me nuts. Well, guess what? It doesn't bother God. How do I know that? Because he stationed angels around him for all of time, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, heard this. Heard this for a thousand years. And it's going to happen forever. So get what? Guess what? Get used to a little repetition. You know, when my kids were little, my son would write me these love letters and he would say, I love you very, 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 very much. Never once did I say, son, cool it on the varies. Every very much something to me. In fact, I saved those love letters. And I've needed to pull them out a couple times, can I tell you? Worship. Worship is an opportunity for God to move right here in the physical. What we're doing when we use worship music, we are fighting in the spiritual realm. That's what Paul and Silas did. We fought, they fought in the spiritual realm, but they saw it in the physical realm. See, they're connected. You cannot divide us physically and spiritually. What happens when you do that? We die. When the spirit comes out of us, we die. You, it's connected. So when I battle this spiritual battle, I can't fight it in the physical. I have to fight it in the spiritual. And that's what worship music is. You're fighting it in the spiritual realm. I'll tell you, we went to... Um, an event in <clears throat> to, to lead worship, and it was a very conservative place. And we were we were told that, so we really toned it down. I mean, really, and we're toned we're toned down anyway. We really toned it down, but we threw a chorus in. But we did it just so melodically. So it was like a ballad. It was so, it was almost hymn like. And afterwards, this seventy-something-year-old man came up to me, and I'm just going to tell you exactly what he said. Okay, can I do that? Do I have permission? Okay. So he comes up to me and he said, young lady. He said, thank you for calling me young. He said, I got to tell you, I only like the hymns. And I only sing the hymns. He goes, I don't like any of that contemporary crap. He goes, but you do it well. (laughs) 
I said, well, thank you. You know, I said, ironically, that actually makes me feel really good. There's something about that that I just really like. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes. I said, what did, what did people worship with as far as music before the 1800s? Did they worship with music? Just asking. I mean, what they do before hymns were written? You think Paul and Silas worshipped? Weren't worshiping for what you're worshiping to? And so here's another question. Let's take like a Nigerian tribe. A missionary gets out into the middle of nowhere and finds this tribe and leads them all to Christ. I said, do you really think they're going to be in heaven singing? In my heart, there rings a melody. He said, if they're Protestant, they will. <laughs> Sir, I got nothing else. I gave you my best. I, here, here's, my, here's my point. When we worship the Lord, Specifically in music, he manifests himself in a very special way. He says, I inhabit the praise of my people. I inhabit, I live in, I dwell in, I exist in, I show up in a special way. I can't explain it to you, but I love it. One Sunday morning, we were worshiping and when Randy was on staff at a church and we had a female drummer. I love female drummers, by the way. She was so cool. And she just was so filled with the spirit. And there was this one particular morning in the worship People were just so engaged. When people are engaged, God moves. There are some churches we go to, and I don't know because I can't prove if the people are not worshiping. All I can say is, doesn't look like they're worshiping. That's all I can say, but I don't know the heart. I don't know. They might be sitting there, and they had a terrible week, and they don't even have the energy to raise their hands. I don't know. Scriptural to raise your hands, by the way, we're supposed to. Just throw that out there. I'll get off that. All right. So, so after this morning, this incredible morning of worship, we walk to the back of the stage and the drummer grabs us and says, did you see them? And I said, yeah, the people were so engaged. That was awesome. She said, no, I'm not talking about people. She said, in the balcony, our balcony wasn't finished. She said, in the balcony, did you see the angels? She said, hundreds of angels, they're sitting on the balcony and they're singing and worshiping God with us, singing the same song. I said, oh man, I missed it. God, I want to see this stuff. I believe. God says, that's why you don't need to see it. I don't know. I don't know why. Worship, worship music's powerful. One of my favorite times of private worship, I hope you worship privately because there are just simply some things in your life, in my life, we will not be set free from if we do not have a quiet time with God where we not only read our Bibles and not only pray, but we need to be worshiping. Why? Because we're going to be doing it forever in eternity. So let me say this to you. And I've been there. If worship music or the worship time in church irritates you, 
okay? No condemnation here. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But what that is, is that is simply the enemy trying to convince you of something. Because he's trying to convince you that this worship music is in your way. Actually, the times of worship in God are what's going to set us free, as we just read in Acts 16. So, as we get set free from things which really happened to me this past year, things that irritated me before no longer do. One of my favorite times of worship, I was in my living room, nobody else was around, and I ended up on my knees just trying to sing a song to God, and I couldn't. We have so many resources today, Spotify, Pandora. You've got Apple Music. You've got CDs. You've got everything. You can pick whatever kind of music you want. Go on YouTube. Go on Pandora. My mom and dad's Pandora mix on their Roku looks so old. <laughs> They've got everything I don't want. But, boy, they play those constantly in their home. And I say, go to what mom and dad. When I go over there, we just sit and search for worship music that they would like. But I'm in my living room and I can't even sing because it felt like the Holy Spirit just descended on me in a new way for me. And, and I, I, I had the thought, I would not be shocked to look up and see Jesus sitting in that chair because I feel them. Instead, I stayed completely quiet, and I was just picturing Jesus on the throne, basking in his love. I had no other thoughts than that. And all of a sudden, out of my mouth come the words, I really want to go to Israel. And it shocked me, because I wasn't thinking of Israel. I had not had that thought up to that point. But when I heard myself say it, I looked up and I said, I do. I really do want to go to Israel. And if you would make a way for me and Randy to go, we'll go. I think it would be so good for us. And then I started listing all the benefits to God. I didn't mention this conversation with the Lord to Randy. I mentioned it to no one. I held it in my heart. Two days later, Randy's talking on the phone to one of our monthly supporters, an old man, 88 years old. Sorry if I just offended you by calling I should have said an older man than me, 88 years old, goes on mission trips at 88, learning Spanish so that he can minister the gospel of Jesus to Spanish-speaking people at 88. So Randy's talking to him on the phone, and he says, Frank, Frank, where's your next mission trip? We want to pray for you. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to the Holy Land. Randy said, you're going to Israel. He said, I'm going to Israel. He said, hey, hey, you guys want to go? And Randy said, um, do we want to go or can we go? Because those are two different questions. And he said, I'm saying this to you. If you and Marley would like to go to Israel, I will pay for you. Come with me. And Randy said, well, we certainly need to pray about it. Okay, we've prayed about it. We'll go. <laughs> I will never forget Randy coming up into the kitchen and I was doing something in the kitchen and he set his hands down on the island and he looked up at me with that look like 
this is really either great news or really bad news. And he said, Frank has taken us to Israel. Isn't it cool how God put a desire in my heart, spoke it through my mouth, and then provided it out of the blue? Would that have happened if I didn't spend time in his spirit? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. I got to go to Israel for 10 days. I didn't have to pay for any of it. Except a gorgeous, no, I won't even go into what I bought while I was there, but it was fun. Oh, it was fun. <laughs> yes. Flip over to Acts 6, 8. Stephen, really godly man, really godly man. It says this, verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. They were not freed. <laughs> Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or by the spirit by whom he spoke. Again, that's why we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we are not going to have the wisdom to speak when we need to speak into the lives of people. I'm not going to have the wisdom of when to keep my mouth shut when I'm talking to my 21-year-old son or my 23-year-old daughter. I'm not going to have the wisdom when to speak to them, what to say, how to sow into their lives. I, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me, the, the people that have come to me and said, would you pray over me? There would be absolutely no wisdom in me without the Holy Spirit of how to pray for them because the Spirit prays through us. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. It says, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. That's the spirit of lies right there. That's a false spirit. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. And they just go on and on and on. And then they say, Stephen, is this true? And Stephen uses that time to give a complete history lesson of the Israelite people. It's really quite fascinating. Read it because it summarizes the nation of Israel very, very concisely. If you want a broad overview, that's a great, great chapter to read right there. But if you, if you flip over to, to verse, um, let's go to 48 of chapter 7. So 748, this whole time he's been talking about the history of Israel. And he continues, he says, the most high does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And then as if he's trying to make friends, he says, you stiff-necked people. With uncircumcised hearts and ears. Those private places have not been ripped open to the Lord. That's what that means. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. God may not be one person in this tent. 
May we never resist you, Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. With that, he fell asleep. Do you realize in his worst moment, he looks up into heaven and he sees the glory of God. Heaven opens up for him. He sees Jesus standing up like Randy talked about the other day. Jesus isn't sitting in his chair, leaning back, watching the show. Jesus is up on his feet, intimately involved, going, Stephen, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm here. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Look at me. You can make it. This is almost over. I know it's bad. I went through it too. I'm with you. Don't give up. Not now. And this, the people start throwing rocks at him. You know how somebody was stoned in the New Testament? So they start throwing rocks at you. But they do it on a cliff. Take you out to a cliff. All these rocks, big rocks, not pebbles, big rocks. And then they push you off the cliff. And then they roll a giant boulder off the cliff to land on you to make sure you're dead. That's how they stoned him. Stephen knew in that moment what he was in for. Instead of fighting back in the natural, what does he do? I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm taking my eyes off you. I'm coming to you. Receive me. In other words, you're the way, the truth, and the life. Receive me. Receive my spirit. I want to be with you. And then he says, Who is that like? Jesus. Jesus on the cross. To the last breath of his life, that guy lived a victorious Christian life. Would you not say that is victory? I declare that as victory. Did he die? Yeah, he died. But guess what? The goal of this life is not to stay alive. Let me say it again. The goal of this life is not to stay alive. The goal of this life is to get every day that God has ordained for me. I don't want to die early, but I want to die. Why? Because where I'm going is real life. This, this isn't it. Anybody with me? Okay, now some of you are sitting going, ah, that scares me, Marley. I know. I've had the conversations. I know. I get it. 
Can I give you a resource? Can I give you a resource? If that's you and you're afraid, will you look up on YouTube Jimmy Evans, Pastor Jimmy Evans, his end time series. Just put Jimmy Evans end time series and all these messages will come up. I think he has five or six of them. We need to focus on heaven. I listened to Colossians three times this morning. And again and again, I heard, change your perspective to heaven. Where are you going? What are you looking at? This is not it. And I think as believers, what we've done is we've walked on this balance beam and and I just want to keep everybody safe and we can't have any messes and we all have to be good little Christians. And guess what? Life is really messy and people die. And people sin. And life is messy. And that's why the Holy Spirit says, I want to have free reign in your life so that as you go through those situations and you have attacks of the enemy in the spiritual realm, I am in you and I will help you get through them. Whether you live like Paul and Silas were freed from jail or whether you die like Stephen. I guarantee you, Stephen needed the Holy Spirit in those last moments more than he ever needed him in his entire life. And he was faithful to the end. He didn't fight back. He didn't pick up rocks and throw them back. He didn't try to scramble and get away. He said, I'm coming. There's a spiritual war going on over you. And it's going to manifest itself in the physical realm. But we don't fight it there. We fight it in the spiritual. God told us, your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the principalities, the authorities. Did you know they all have to bow to him? He's the head over everything. Question. If he's head over them, then why did he give them so much access to us? I think we give them access to us. We're going to talk more about that. Can a Christian be captive? You think? Absolutely. Go to Luke 13. Go to Luke 13. Verse 10, it says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Remember, she was bent over, crippled by a spirit. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. They get all upset because he healed on the Sabbath. (laughs) Jesus says, she's been captive. Let's keep reading. I should keep reading. It says, uh, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the signet rulers, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? From what bound her? (laughs) Great verse next. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. (laughs) 
Look at that. So in other words, Jesus says, okay, she's been in captivity for 18 years to Satan, and you're telling her she came on the wrong day? Really? Really? That's what we do with rules sometimes. There's a spirit of legalism in our churches. And the spirit of legalism was my friend for years, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Jesus says in John 8 to some of the Pharisees he's talking to, he says, you do what I say and listen to my commands, the truth will set you free. They said, free? We're not slaves to anyone. When they said that, they were slaves to the Romans. They've been slaves to everyone. Do you know the history of Israel? They've been slaved to the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Philistine, every kind of ite there is in scripture, they've been slaves to. It's just that it became so normal, they didn't know it. But this woman, she's held captive, it says, by Satan. For 18 years. And get this, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. In John 8, he clarifies that true children of Abraham believe in me. In other words, he's saying, she believes in me. She was bound in captivity for 18 years. Look, if, you, if we're going to get wigged out about oppression versus possession, let me, let me clarify something. And we have mentors that have been extremely helpful to us. You need to find people that are well-versed in scripture. Scripture, not denomination, scripture. Because denominations get many things right. I'm not, but you know how denominations formed? I disagree with you about that, so I'm gonna go make my own church, right? Really, come on. We couldn't all agree on the hot topics, so we broke up and we scattered. Find somebody who knows the word and goes with that. We have dear mentors, and I was talking with him about this, and he said, Marley, remember, the word possession is a bad word. That, that's not even really accurate. He said the accurate word is demonized. That's what the original Biblical Greek word is in the New Testament is demonize. So a demon is affecting you, tormenting you. He said, and here's the thing, all the movies that we have seen have just ruined this entire topic for Christians to even deal with. We get scared and so we walk away from it, we set it down. Look, God did not give us a spirit of fear. So fear is both an emotion and a spirit. There's the good kind of fear when you're driving down the road and a car is in your lane and, and, and you get afraid. And so what do you do? You turn off. That's the good kind of fear. But the spirit of fear torments you. It could be the fear of anything. It could be general fear. It could be the fear of cancer, the fear of heights, the fear of whatever. I just watched a show on a woman. She has the fear of swallowing food. If that is not from the enemy, 
and the enemy keeps us captive. But here's the thing. We don't even know it. Because so many of us have grown up in a way We just didn't talk about this stuff. And there came a time in my life when I just said, God, why can I not get free from fear? Why am I so bound with anxiety? I'm done with this. I refuse to live like this. You've got to do something. And God slowly began to work out of me ungodly beliefs I had about God. Didn't even didn't even know it. I had this vision one day of, well, my mentors were taking me through um, kind of just an exercise with some, some bad memories that I had from my childhood. And they were just really helping me to be set free from those. The enemy was just tormenting me with them, just tormenting me. And they said, okay, ask Jesus, where were you in those memories? When I was going through that, where were you? Jesus, where were you? And they said, just close your eyes and listen to him. See if he tells you anything. And he gave me a vision. He gave me a vision. I'd never had a vision before like that, like that clear. It was like a movie screen. And I saw Jesus standing there with me with his arm around me going, healed my memory. As a kid, I couldn't see that. But as an adult, needing to be set free from that memory, he did that. Now I can say to that spirit of suspicion, that was specifically the spirit that was tormenting me, suspicion, I said to that spirit, you know what? God has shown me the truth. He was with me. He's healed my heart. I forgive. I forgive. Spirit of suspicion, You cannot have any ground in my life. You must go. And I heard that demon say to me, I will torment you the rest of your life. And I said, no, you won't, because I'm no longer afraid of you. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Be gone. Can I tell you the freedom in my life? Can I tell you the peace Can I tell you the victory and the confidence in who I am? Because I finally realized I actually have authority in my life to stand on the word of God and to say, no, you are, I am not your puppet. You are not going to play with me. I'm not worried. Was that demon inside of me? Was he outside? It doesn't matter. It's just, don't get sidetracked by that. Just don't get sidetracked. Uh, I'll I'll tell you um, this vision that I had. Um, of of Jesus, the vision that ensued right after that, I'm praying and I'm thanking him. And I'm going, thank you, thank you, thank you for victory. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And he showed me, he's standing much ground like this, green grass, but in front of him is a huge hole. And it's, and it's, there's a pile of dirt next to this. And it's, Black, black, black dirt, soil that's rich and moist. And he's dug maybe two feet, three feet, and this soil is just piled. And then there's this shovel right here, and he's leaning on it. And I just, I just see him. I can't give you facial features. I can't, but I, I know it's Jesus, and he's leaning on this shovel looking at me. And I said, what, 
what's that about? I don't get that. You show me a vision like that, I don't get that. And the Holy Spirit explains to me, you know what? We're, this is the soil of your heart. This is your heart. We're just going to dig. We're going to dig. And then I'm going to stand here. I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you process this stuff. This is a lot to take in. I'm just going to let you process it. I said, man, process away, God. Do what you want to do in me because the freedom that I feel, I've never experienced it in my life. Never in my life. Can I tell you one more quick story? No? What are you going to say? <laughs> um, so probably one of my most, that's driving me crazy. That's pain in here. So probably one of my, my most wild, uh, life-changing experiences dealing in the spiritual realm was um, I met a woman at a concert who was in a wheelchair. Um, I thought she was mentally disabled. Um, she was on uh, 30 to 40 medications at that time, could hardly speak. Um, and over the course of a year or so, she would call me sometimes 15 or 16 times a day. And she would say, Marley, my Marley, I love my Marley. And it would just oh, make my skin crawl. And I led her to the Lord over that, during that year, I led her to the Lord. And um, she gave her, gave her heart to Christ, asked the Lord to forgive her of her sin. And um, here's the part I want to tell you, and I'm going to refer back to her story at different times. Um, but come to find out when she was eight years old, she made a blood covenant with the devil uh, on an Indian reservation as a child, eight years old. Someone led her in that blood covenant. And so she was filled with many, many demons. And um, there was one particular time after I led her to the Lord we went to her apartment. She told me that she saw an Indian dancing in her living room. She said, I don't understand that. Um, and again, you know, I thought she was mentally disabled. And I didn't know what I was dealing with. Went to her apartment, anointed it with oil, prayed over it. And as I was leaving, um, I looked into her eyes that were solid black. She never blinked. You couldn't see a pupil. They were just solid black. But she had the kindest face. And I said to her, do you think there are demons inside of you? And she said, oh, there are many. There are many inside of me. And I said, well, in the name of Jesus, you have to come out. And she said, they're laughing at you. I said, again, I say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And nothing happened. She wasn't set free that day. She wasn't set free for two more years. But I knew there was going to be a day when we were going to meet up again. And I'll tell you, it shook my faith because I said, if I can't get one woman set free, how can you use me anywhere, God? I know that woman's in captivity. And she belongs to you. I don't understand all of this, but I want her set free. Two years later, she calls me on the phone. She said, hi, Marley. I said, hi. And she said, I'm going to kill myself. And I said, no, you're not in the name of Jesus. And when I said the name Jesus, a different voice appeared. And I instantly said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Death Wish, and she will die tonight. And I said, no, she won't in the name of Jesus. You have to come out. And he said, no, I don't. And I said, actually, you do, because I'm on a seven-day fast right now. And Jesus said that your kind comes out 
only by prayer and fasting, so come on out. And we went through a process of about five hours that night over the telephone of setting this woman free. We would bring up sin, and she would confess it, and then we would call those demons forward. There was one moment when I was praying for her, and I was calling. We had mentors with us that were helping us. We called some people on the phone and said, you need to come over. And they helped us. And there was one moment when I... I, he's, this mentor had said to me, you need to call forward any evil spirit that you can think of. So I did. Evil spirits of lust, of lying, of sexual immorality, of hatred, of bitterness, of anything that I could think of. And there was all this crazy, crazy voices and um, um, sounds that I just can't even explain to you. All kinds of sounds, animal sounds, and just one person could not physically make those sounds. It would be impossible. And it just sounded uh, chaotic. And during that list of listing different evil spirits, I I finally said, um, the spirit of abuse, come out. And everything stopped. And this voice, this dark, growly voice said to me, oh, you finally found me. And I said, yes, I did. Come out of her. And that was the last one. That woman was set free that night. Three weeks later, she called me. I didn't even recognize her voice. She said, hi, Marley. I said, hi, who's this? She gave me her name. I said, excuse me? She said, I'm off all of my medications, except one or two. She said, I've been going to the gym. I'm out of my wheelchair. She said, my whole life is different. A couple months later, we were driving through her hometown. So we met her at Applebee's, walked up to her crystal blue eyes. I said, you have blue eyes. She goes, I know, aren't they beautiful? (laughs) That woman's now in ministry. You need to clap for Jesus. So here's the quandary in it. I say to the Lord, God, explain to me. She belonged to you. I heard her give her life to you. You said anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Explain that to me because I don't get it. I grew up believing no way can the enemy be in you if the Holy Spirit is in you. The the Holy Spirit instantly took me to Mark 5. I don't want to give you the right. Mark 3.20. And it says, a house divided against itself will not stand. See, Somebody that has been that involved in the enemy's territory for so long, you've got to clear the land. We don't know how to do this. And some people simply will not be set free in their Christian walk until we clear the land. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I will quote that to you a million times over the next two days. Greater is he that is in me. No fear. You will not make me afraid. Why? Because my God can do anything. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to stand in authority and I'm going to watch people get set free. That's a very rare situation. But I just want to bring to you the thought, is there, I mean, that's an extreme, extreme, extreme situation. But here's the question. Where has the enemy 
held me captive in my life? Do you just say, you know what? I, I just, I'm, I'm a depressed person. No, you're not. You're a child of God, seated in the heavenly realms with everything in the kingdom at your disposal. That's a spirit of depression that's tormenting you. And you speak to it and say, no, in the name of Jesus, I will not bow to you. Or you say, I'm just a grouchy person. I'm just edgy. Everybody knows that. That's just the way I am. It's just the way I talk. Hey, the enemy has a handle in your life. I'm accident prone. Things happen. I'm accident prone. Enemy has a handle. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to look over these scriptures. If you feel so led, look over these scriptures and just ask the Lord. Number one, Father, Holy Spirit, do you have free reign in my life? And, and just listen. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to indwell you, to, that you would just walk with him. And then, is there anything that's holding me captive? Do I know how to battle in the spiritual realm? Teach me how to do that. No fear. Okay, can I pray for you? And let me just say, Randy and I would love to pray with any of you at any time, okay? But let me pray over you right now. Father, in the power of your name, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. Lord, I don't want to be like the Pharisees that said, I've never been enslaved to anything. I was enslaved to sin. But thank you, Lord. Colossians 3, you transferred me over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I am in you. And we are victorious because we belong to you. And so, God, I would pray right now that you give us wisdom. You give us knowledge. You give us um, wisdom how to handle these situations that just really raise a lot of questions. Father, you deserve our attention, not the enemy. The enemy doesn't deserve our attention. But, Lord, we need a lesson in dealing in the spiritual realm because, Father, some of us are not living victorious lives. And we want to live in a way that honors you, and we want to experience your blessing. Even in hard times, Lord, we want to experience your spirit and your joy. So, Father, will you please bless? We have raised a thousand voices. About these situations, Lord, if somebody's not filled with the spirit and they want to be, Lord, I pray that you continue to stir that hunger in them, Lord, and then give them the courage to have someone pray over them, lay their hands on, on them.